0: This episode of Vergecast is brought to you by HBO Silicon Valley, which is as timely as ever as Pied Piper founder Richard Hendricks pivots to build a new decentralized internet free of ads and data tracking. But as the saying goes, new internet, new problems. Not 100% sure that's a saying, but the show is great. Watch new episodes of Silicon Valley Sundays at 10 p.m. on HBO. Hello Vergecast listeners, I am Grant Gordon. And I'm Ravi Murphy, and we're your co-hosts of a new podcast called Displaced from the Vox Media Podcast Network and the International Rescue Committee where Grant and I work.
1: Right now, the world is witnessing the largest displacement crisis since World War II. That is, the largest number of people who've been displaced because of conflict. If you want to understand why that is and what can be done about it, listen to Displaced.
0: You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to VergeCast. Hello, and welcome to VergeCast, the flagship podcast of uh, Vox Media, The Verge, the media industry at large. You know, it's upfront season. We're not doing an upfront for The Verge. So if you're an advertiser and you're listening to this, consider this next hour of your life. Uh our presentation. Buy, buy some ads. Anyway, I'm Neela. I've been gone for three weeks. Uh and I know Dieter has been hosting the show for those three weeks, and I've removed him. He's he's
2: just not here this week. But Paul is here. Hey Paul. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Please don't also hurt me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Addy is here. Addie Robertson's here. Hey Addie. Hey. And Casey Newton is here. Well, Casey is in San Francisco. Welcome back, uh, Well, Yeah. So, uh, if I don't know. If, did you guys talk about this while I was gone? My wife and I had a baby. We've just so been telling
2: people that nobody knows where Neil is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I don't either. I called the police. I'm going to apologize to all of you and to the listeners because I have, in the past three weeks, not actually gotten eight hours of uninterrupted sleep. The most I've gotten in the past three weeks is four. So, I'm a little loopy. I'm a little out of it. But I think... I think
2: we can do this show. So uh, what's been going on, guys? Well, most of all, I want to know what fatherhood's like.
0: Uh, if you want to feel the jail doors of ecosystem lock-in <laughs> just crash down <laughs> around you, I encourage you to produce a child. Uh, every single decision is an ecosystem. Like, literally everyone. Like and what? There's, well, so, you know, we have grandparents. I have a sister. Becky has a brother. Everyone wants to see photos of this child. Mm-hmm. So we have, we immediately had to pick a photo sharing system and you can't change it. Right. Like usually I try something. I'm like, I hate, I love this phone. I hate this phone. It's gone. You can't do that with baby foot. Like mm-hmm. no, no one's screwing around when it comes to like, I need 10 photos of this baby every day. So you just land inside of iCloud photo sharing because everybody has an iPhone and you can't ask your, like, I can't be like mom and dad, please download Google photos. Like, it's just not going to fly. Mm-hmm. So like, just slid into that faster than anything.
2: It sounds like what you're saying is that becoming a father has changed you in no
0: ways. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, it's like, um, I wanted to buy a real camera. So I bought a DSLR. Mm -hmm. Um, and just immediately, like everything to do with photos has become 5,000 times more complicated because usually I take photos. Like no one gives a shit about my dumb photos. Now everyone cares. Mm. So like, deciding that the public place for the baby will be Instagram as opposed to my Facebook account was like a big deal. And we're actually gonna talk about Facebook a lot because it was F8. Casey and Addie, you covered all of F8. And I thought, to me, the funniest shift in the entire Facebook presentation this week was, we're really sorry about the elections and the fake news. Oh, by the way, we've added a bunch of AR filters to Instagram because they're still trying to preserve Instagram as the happier version of Facebook. Yeah, like literally like the, the, the food, well, like the bottles that we buy to feed her are an ecosystem. And once you buy some of them, you have to buy all of the rest of the same kind. Um, we have a snoo, which is a hilarious. It's a review unit. It's a hilarious $1,200 smart crib that like rocks her to sleep at night. It works fifty percent of the time. It's very scary. It's fucking terrifying. But it has special clothes that have to clip into it Appropriate, Like literally everything is an ecosystem or an app. Um, uh, we were very careful to only use we have to track everything she eats and poops when she's new. So that's how you know she's like healthy and growing. Um all of those apps are ecosystems of related apps that like she'll be 25 and I'll still be like, honey, did you poop today? And like the app will grow with her. So we're, uh, it's <laughs> it's actually remarkable how, how much everything in the world, as soon as you have a kid, you start to make these decisions and you realize they're going to compound on a timescale that usually is just a random person who likes tech. You're like, whatever, I'll throw it away. Like I'll start over. Now there's like another literally human life in the mix that I have to care for. <laughs> it's a little bit harder. That's fine. Max is great. She's great.
3: I'm just so imagining all of this is going to somebody is going to say that speech verbatim in like an Amazon keynote at some point. You have so many decisions, yeah. ecosystem decisions for your baby. We're going to take care of all of it for you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, I mean, even that one, like there's a we put a Google assistant in her room, like a, a, a home speaker so we could just like play music. And <laughs> I was like, wait, this sucks. Like, I hate I hate saying Google to my baby every day. Like I don't. Want so like we're gonna we put a an Echo Dot in there. Now I'm saying Alexa around the baby every day. And is that worse? Is that better? Who knows? I haven't gotten enough sleep to really <laughs> Like it's just a lot harder. Anyway, uh, that's enough about my child. She's great. She's gonna grow up in the woods, far from all technology, as as near as I can manage it. But there was a lot of tech news this week, and I want to start with F eight because Facebook just had an impossible task this week, as as far as I can tell. Casey, you wrote a lead up to it. You were there. Tell us about
1: it. Yeah. So they did have this difficult needle to thread, which was on one hand, they could not appear to be ignorant of the past 18 months of events, particularly the last two months of events in which they've been battered by this data privacy scandal. So they had to Acknowledge it. Uh, They had to acknowledge that they were shutting down large swaths of the developer platform, and then they had to tell that same room full of five thousand developers that it was a very exciting time to be a Facebook developer. (laughs) So, like as keynote writing challenges go, I would give this one (laughs) maybe nine and a half out of ten. But if I'm being honest, I think they mostly pulled it off. I think they were able to confront the Cambridge Analytica stuff really directly. It was surreal to see the words Cambridge Analytica in the video that opened up the entire keynote. Uh, they splashed headlines in front of all of the developers that said things like, what did Facebook do to American democracy? Right? Like They really put it out there, so no one could accuse them of avoiding the question. And then Zuckerberg came out and he said, essentially, that Facebook is a very important idea, and if Facebook went away, then uh, we would all be miserable. And so here are the things that you can now build on Facebook. And from there, they went, uh, uh, they went on and announced a bunch of changes, uh, the most immediately buzzy of which was Facebook dating. Uh, but there was a bunch of other stuff, too. And now we sort of have to see whether Facebook is able to get a sort of fresh start with uh, all of the people who have felt betrayed by it uh, over the past months and, and maybe year and a half. Uh, or or whether they're about to stick their foot
0: into something else that we haven't anticipated. Casey, can I ask a really dumb question, just super dumb. Yes. Who develops on Facebook? Like, why does Facebook have a developer conference? Like, I, I obviously people make games for Oculus, and we're going to talk about Oculus in, in a minute. But Facebook apps is a concept to me seem to have been gone for a long time. What do these developers do?
1: This is a question that I had to write because you don't hear about people really getting rich on Facebook the way you might hear about people getting rich by making iOS apps, let's say. Uh, But the truth is that people do make money on Facebook. Publishers are among that group. Facebook paid out something like $300 million to publishers in in recent months uh, for developing Um, article formats for Facebook. Uh, There is also a games platform on Facebook uh, that you access through Facebook Messenger. And I know what you're thinking. I don't access it on Facebook Messenger, but someone is, right? And there's optimism that that will will happen more in the future. Um, And then there are just those developers who want to try to build the next thing, who are very interested in augmented reality, virtual reality. So, you know, I've talked to a lot of developers who don't see Facebook as kind of their main money making potential, but it does offer them access to some tools, it offers them some access to some uh, marketing. And if they can kind of build a product there, um, like say using this new Facebook camera platform that is open on Facebook proper and is now opening on Instagram, maybe they can get some kind of viral promotion that will draw attention to them. So you know it's basically the same story as it always is with Facebook, which is that two billion people use it. And so if you can get your thing in front of those people, like there's there could be money somewhere in there for you
0: but that's just I don't know a year ago it was like or two years ago it was all about bots and everyone's gonna build bots on facebook and that went nowhere we can build stickers inside of one of its messaging app like where is it the money in just like hidden little pockets is it in advertising like i just don't understand what developers are doing on this platform and that when you say it's like really hard to thread the needle it's i yeah. just i don't at a very basic level Everything that was bad is so in the public consciousness, and everything that is good is so opaque, I guess is the word. And I'm trying to like make it less opaque to me.
1: So, there's one thing that is not opaque about Facebook to me, which is Facebook is a really incredible machine for finding customers, right? That's why its advertising platform is one of the the two biggest in the world. And so, there are a lot of people who come to Facebook just to learn about how do I use this, I'm sorry, who come to F8 to learn about how do I market better to these customers? How do I use these tools? How do I integrate these tools into things that I'm already doing to find customers? And so, you wind up meeting a lot of people there who are just essentially marketers. Um, And and so Facebook becomes this really incredible way to generate leads for those people, right? And even the publishing industry is now starting to see Facebook this way as no longer this is our, our main channel of distribution, but this is one of our very best ways of finding customers and then converting them into paying subscribers, right? Like all of Facebook publishing, it seems like right now, is about selling subscriptions. So I think you're continuing to see Facebook just embrace its status as a really good advertiser. And the people who are coming to F8... Are essentially trying to use it to find some customers and monetize them in ways that may n- have very little to do with Facebook.
0: that's i mean—so you were there, right? I and mean, this sounds like a like a hell world to me, just like a million a million uh, marketing online marketing experts desperately trying to sell a subscription to some product. Uh, but there's a bunch of privacy news there too on the on the on the flip side, right? They announced the Clear yeah. History tool. They're going to audit conservative bias. The conservative bias thing to me is it sounds like nonsense, but I'm interested in in sort of your take on Facebook trying to clean up this public mess.
1: Well, it, you know, it it drives me crazy and I would actually like to hear from all of you about it. Um, I've written about it pretty dismissively in my uh, daily newsletter that I write about Facebook and democracy, um, uh, but got some emails back from conservatives who said, hey, you need to take this more seriously. Like this is a real concern that we have. Um, And the basic idea is that Uh, There have been a handful of incidents where conservatives who have big Facebook presences have felt like or maybe received some sort of information that they're seeing less reach than they believe that they should. Um, And so that has led to a congressional hearing last week where Diamond and Silk, these two uh, pro-Trump vloggers went before Congress to talk about their experience of seeing reduced Facebook reach. They also got a really weird email from, from Facebook customer service. And so there are sort of these swirling uh, questions. The reason that I find it very frustrating is that if you look at the empirical data that we have about how conservative content performs on Facebook, it performs very well. If you look at like blog posts from um, companies like Newswhip, which monitor kind of the virality of posts across various publishers, conservative publishers often rank very near or at the top. In November, Fox News was the the most engaged publisher on Facebook. And if you want to create a a Facebook experience that is all conservative news all the time, I I think it's very simple to do that. So, I find these questions sort of maddening, but um, now there's going to be an audit to determine sort of once and for all whether there is any sort of systemic bias. And I think the real question, though, is, even if the, the the audit finds that there is no bias, will any conservative people believe it uh, or will we just continue to have this bad faith debate forever?
0: Yeah, it feels like to me that the outrage cycle is such a key piece of that ecosystem. Like if you're not beset, you're not there's if you're not feeling aggrieved, you're doing something wrong inside of that particular media ecosystem. But I only see it from the outside. I, I think on the inside of it, they feel that there's a sincerity to that aggrievedness. And Uh, honestly, being aggrieved at Facebook is the easiest thing (laughs) in the world to do. It's not like hard.
2: I've I've seen this way. So I do follow a lot of uh, different conservative type people. Uh, I've seen a lot more on YouTube of uh, getting demonetized. That was kind of a, a big problem. There's a lot of people who talk on Twitter that they think they are or can prove that they are being shadow banned. Uh, but a podcast I listened to that was the, the Dan Bongino show. Uh, he just had an episode where he was like, I tried to post something on Facebook. I don't post very often, but I just tried to post something and Facebook marked it as spam. And now Facebook thinks I'm spam and I can't get any word from Facebook. They won't talk to me. And I'm assuming like in a couple of weeks they'll like say, oops, that was a mistake. But like this is, you know, and then. He kind of extends it to, like, this is an epidemic. Like, this is something that happens all (laughs) the time. And so it's really hard to tell if if it is an epidemic or if it's just like, you know, he accidentally got marked as as, as spam by an algorithm that wasn't performing correctly. Uh, and uh, And he viewed it as an attack on on his conservatism. So it's, I, I mean, it is hard to tell because when it happens to you, this is, it feels like your voice specifically is being shut down. And if your voice you identify mostly as a conservative, you're like, well they're shutting down my conservative voice, so they're probably con- shutting down conservative voices. but I, it's really, it really is really hard to tell if it is. I'm looking forward to this audit. I think they'll be interesting.
3: I think the thing that seems bad faith to me is that there is never a control group, is that I've only ever heard the vaguest of, well, this only happens on one side, rather than, you know what we do know? Facebook moderation is bad. YouTube moderation is bad. All moderation (laughs) is bad. Like, it's very easy to say, yes, I had this thing happen to me that is unfair. But that means nothing if you're not also able to say, and people on this other political spectrum don't see that.
1: Yeah. There's like well, I mean, there's two totally different conversations happening in the culture. You have like sort of the liberal world which sees Facebook problems and says the advertising model is bad and the only way to save Facebook is to implement like a paid subscription. And then there's conservatives which says like there is an active conspiracy to prevent my voice from ever being shared. And and no one is talking to each other.
0: Well, I you know, it's even if you talk to our engagement folks inside the Verge across CrossFox Media like we run a large professional media company, and they're like, Facebook is censoring us, like we don't know what the hell they're doing. Like, we pushed this button and something went wrong. Like I, one of the things that that uh, stuck out to me from the past week uh, from F8 was uh, Zuckerberg at one of his in, in the many interviews that he did around the conference. He said, "Well, I, I went to Congress and I answered all these questions and I realized, I don't know enough about our product. And so I came back and I I I studied up real hard to to learn how it works. And now I now I kind of know. There's just an element to to this whole thing where no one knows how Facebook works. Just period. No one knows how it works. And it'd be great, Addy, if there was a control group. I'm not even sure that they're structured to be able to create one.
3: Yeah. Right. There's no.
0: Don't think they could. Ideal Facebook timeline that you could see. And so my I just I, I keep looking at this company, and it just seems like what they need more than anything is a very public value system for people to react to rather than trying to mirror everyone's values because no one will ever be happy in that, in that situation.
2: Well, some, something I learned from watching some of the, of the, the talks, I don't even know if this was one of the keynotes, maybe it was day two keynote. You know, we've kind of made fun of Facebook for just like slapping an AI band, you know, Oh, Oh, that's, that is a problem. We agree. Well, thank goodness <laughs> for AI. <laughs> we'll solve this for us. <laughs> but the way Facebook, it seems that they want to use AI because one of their big fears, you know, like think think of things that have happened where you know like a violent incident is f- streamed live on Facebook. You know, uh, you know wh- they have a problem with ter- terrorist. Propaganda on Facebook, and they obviously don't want that. So they're building uh, machine learning, you know, algorithms that can catch this stuff and never allow it to be published. Like it's very, I think it's very important to Facebook that they can catch actually truly terrible content, and it never is seen by anybody. So it, 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 it's different than a typical moderation model, uh, where you wait for something bad to happen, and you get rid of it, or you have like a everything, you know, obviously, everything can't be manually approved before it goes up on Facebook. But they want everything to be approved by these AI algorithms before it goes up on Facebook.
0: I mean, it will throw AI at it. I don't know, in case I'm curious what the vibe is there. Like, I also think that's ridiculous because the AI does it can't work and also like it it can't work because it's not good enough yet and also no one knows how to train it against the waves of attackers that have already gamed the system like 10,000 times. So like do you did you sense optimism from Facebook while you were there talking about how they're going to solve these problems or are they just you know they have a hammer and this looks like a nail.
1: Well, they definitely invoke AI as a magic talisman that will solve all future problems. And we have attempted to call them on that a couple of times, uh, but they are sticking with it. And they are pointing to some results in fairness. Like they now say that. of all terrorism content on Facebook uh, that gets taken down is identified by their automated systems. Uh, So before anyone flags it, they find it. So if you're looking for reasons to be optimistic, there's one. You know, I think if you drill down with them, they'll be the first to admit that they're still a really long way away from, from where they want to be. But what gives me the willies about saying that AI is going to solve all of your content moderation problems is that AI gave us the news feed that we have been freaking out about over the past 18 months, right? It's like AI is the reason that Russians were able to use the platform incredibly effectively to sow dissent in the United States. so. Sure, there are reasons to be excited about AI, but I think as Facebook and other companies talk about it, we have to constantly have in the back of our mind that AI is used for ill every day, often very effectively.
0: Yeah, and whatever AI Facebook develops, someone will point another AI at it to break it, right? I mean, I hate to just hate on Facebook. Like, it's funny how much I use Instagram every day now because of the kid. (laughs) And like how delightful that is. Um, But Casey, there's a reason you write a daily newsletter about Facebook and democracy. Like, I don't think they're ready to solve these problems. Like, I don't know that Mark Zuckerberg has a clear conception of what he should do yet. I think he is putting on a very good faith showing of, hey, I need to figure this out. But that is not necessarily a reassuring display.
1: Right, you know, and and Neil, like your Instagram is a great example because I I love your Instagram. I had a chance to meet your baby; she is wonderful. Uh, but I don't live in New York, so it's probably gonna be a long time before the next time I see her. But in the meantime, every time you post a picture, I get to like remember how fun it was to meet her. And like in in doing that, I'm having the exact experience that Facebook wants, right? They want everyone in the world to feel closer to the people who are important to them and stay updated, uh, you know, on the important things in their life, even. When they are far away, and I will be the first to admit, I have totally lost sight of the the benefits of that, like or, or at least it's something that I totally take for granted, right? I no longer yeah. think that that is an amazing thing that I can just sort of like peer into your apartment, you know, once a day and and look at your adorable baby.
0: And then you click the next slide, and you get a Kickstarter for an iPhone 10 battery case, and maybe you buy oh, it. Right,
1: right, right, right. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> that's
0: just that appears to be the business model,
1: <laughs> and and it works like. I actually I bought clothes this weekend based on an Instagram ad that I had seen. And by the way, to my knowledge, that's actually never happened before. But like they finally <laughs> found the right set of shirts and I was like, "You know what? We're doing this thing." And I did it. And they actually did arrived inside today the app. Wait.
0: That's the one that, that that's like when you when you start typing your credit card information in the Instagram in app browser, you're like, "Oh, yeah. I lost." Oh, I, like I've just been horribly defeated by this. Like I'm not even thinking this it. All right, I'm going to read one ad, and then Addy, I want to talk to you all about Oculus because uh, there's a ton of Oculus news. So let me read one more ad for Silicon Valley. As you know, this episode of Vergecast brought to you by HBO Silicon Valley: New Internet, New Problems. HBO Silicon Valley takes its too real satire of tech culture to the next level. The season is the comedy's Richard Hendricks pivots his startups to develop a decentralized internet. It turns out the road to an autonomous peer-to-peer network is paved with misguided car purchases, stealth acquisitions of pizza apps, and a lot of public puking. And uh, an ICO. No one said launching a startup was easy. Get new episodes of Silicon Valley Sundays at 10 p.m. on HBO. All right, Addy. Yes. You wore a headset. How many photos have we taken of you in a VR headset in the past three years?
3: Not counting duplicates of different system or of like the <laughs> same system with different photos. I was trying to count it up, and I honestly don't remember. Because there's the Vive, PlayStation VR, Rift, Vive Pre, Oculus Go, Gear VR, daydream maybe second daydream and then there's probably some (laughs) weird prototypes i was at something for
0: i'm gonna come back and build a wall this is all i'm doing when i come back from my my leave i'm (laughs) building a wall of addy and headset photos um so oculus go is this from what i can tell this is just an old galaxy cell phone in a case right like internally but they released it you tried it is it more than that
3: Oh, uh, it's moderately new Galaxy cell phone. Um, it's <laughs> okay. it's like a, a reasonably well-functioning device. The thing that's important about it is that, A, I just can't express how much I loathe the Gear VR. It's the worst piece <laughs> of hardware ever. Whenever I touch it, I start swearing, and now I never have to touch it again. Yeah. And that's good. That's actually a really good thing.
2: What are the actual advantages of this?
3: So the really primary one is that if I'm using a phone... I don't have to be like, I know that I'm not going to use my phone for the next half hour to an hour, so I can lock it into a thing. Hmm. And then I also have to kind of hope that the app launches, because the idea is that you're supposed to close it in, and this app automatically launches. But if you have the screen off, then it doesn't launch, so you have to take it out again. I've done this. I have to do this like three times every time I plug something in. The hardware is just hideous. The controller feels miserable. Um, If you have a phone, you're going to use up a bunch of its battery. So this just... Has all those things and it takes them away, so you can use all of the sort of Gear VR app stuff, but it's just a thing, and you hit a button and it turns on. And it's one ninety nine,
0: which to me, every year around the holidays, I go into a Best Buy and I see every mobile VR headset shell thing for is like gone. They like fly off the shelves. It's the th- I don't know why. I don't know who's buying them, but they're never. My local Best Buy is always sold out of them. This seems at one ninety nine. It's just like a default, hey, I've got like a, a nerdy niece. I'm going to just buy her this tech gift. And at 199 it kind of like hits that iPod spot. Do you think people? Do you think it's going to cause an uptake? Am I being too optimistic there?
3: I don't know. Because, yeah, the thing that is interesting is that I think people think the Gear VR is a lot cheaper than it is because they've given mm-hmm. so many of them away free. It costs $130, which is not that much less than this thing. So. Yeah. I think that it's a thing that, yeah, you can give it as a gift with sort of no strings attached. You don't have to make sure that they own some other piece of hardware. I don't think that this is like the iPhone of VR or anything like that. It is still extremely limited and the games and apps are kind of whatever. But I think that, yeah, it's a a thing that gets people in that doesn't have really big entry costs besides the price. So,
1: Addy, my question for you is – so, we we have like a a unit that is on its way to uh, our San Francisco office that we're going to get to play around with. And – like, if I get one of these things, like what is the most fun I can have with it? Like, what can I do that I'm actually going to enjoy?
3: It depends on what you like doing. I You know me very well. I can't tell because everything Oculus says <laughs> is going to be fun is not actually the stuff that I really enjoy. Um, <laughs> like, I've turned out to enjoy VR adventure games. Um, I think they're mm. neat. I think that Oculus and every other VR company talks a ton about 360-degree video and VR destination stuff and VR social And that just barely appeals to me. Um, Hmm. But it might be really interesting. Oculus has uh, its whole sort of social system now. You can go hang out in rooms with people. You can customize your avatars. Um, You have this whole game room where you can like play Monopoly with each other in a VR environment. Um, So it's all theoretically sort of interesting.
0: The idea that this hardware is a, I mean, 199 is not cheap. Like, I, I don't mean to sound flip about it, but it's definitely in that sort of, it, it's definitely in the price range of things that are accessible, if that makes any sense. It's not cheap. It's not expensive. It's just sort of in that kind of accessible middle zone. And it's not tied to a phone or another ecosystem or another set of purchases. It's re- It seems relatively portable. What's the battery
3: life like? It says up to three hours. I've gotten like around two hours, maybe a bit more doing gaming.
0: That seems like as much time as I want to spend in any headset. So
3: Yeah, that's um, accurate.
0: It definitely just seems like a thing you can buy to get a much better VR experience than almost anything else at that price point thus far.
3: Yes, and Oculus's catalog is also, for a VR catalog, not bad. Like, it has a lot of apps that are interesting. Um, a lot of things that seem worth trying once.
0: If someone was buying this and they said, what's the first thing I should try, what would, what would you say?
3: I mean, again, this is just really hard because I think the first things most people try kind of are supposed to be not very good. Like, you should just try a bunch of shooters and be like, this is really, like, really interesting. I can point and actually feel like I'm kind of moving a gun. Um, Or I think there are sculpting apps that are also pretty neat. I think that...
2: For the Oculus Go?
3: Yeah, I'm need to look this up because I get them sort of confused with the Rift apps but
2: I've done the the social experience with the regular Oculus Facebook's social experience but that works on the go
3: now? No so there are two completely different sides <laughs> <laughs> um, there's Facebook's VR uh, and that I believe is still just on stuff with fully tracked hands which means uh, the Rift um, but there's Oculus rooms okay, or it's their equivalent of spaces um, and that you can go in and like watch TV with people and hang out and it's not quite like VR chat or big screen, Mm I think big screen is also on it. Like, I think that if you want to go hang out with people in VR, that's a thing that's kind of neat to do. Um, I don't know if it's a thing for me, but it's like VR chat is maybe the most popular VR app out there. And I feel like that has to transfer a little. Yeah. I mean, there's
0: a part of me that deeply loves the idea of Facebook coming totally full circle, investing all of this money into VR and what they've built is the best way into VR chat, which is basically AOL chat rooms from the 90s, but with three-dimensional avatars, right? Like, it's amazing. Like, they've just come all the way back around, and now they're, they're just doing chat rooms again.
2: And I think that's that's just nice. Well, they really, I mean, from what they've been saying on stage, it sounds like they it's very important to Facebook that ultimately they can make you feel like you are basically with another person.
3: Yes, but people's definition of with another person seems just, regrettably, pathetically low in the VR world. (laughs) Uh, So out here,
0: is this a buy or no buy? What do you think?
3: I bought one. I think it's, it kind of depends on what you think is worth spending money on. If you were like, went out and bought a Nintendo Switch on the very first day when it had like two games, um, Mm -hmm. then yeah, this is probably the kind of thing that maybe you would have fun with. Um, If you, take like if you didn't buy a console for years and years because you wanted to make sure it was the best console and it was great no this is like not the thing you should buy
0: Uh, i'm really taken with this idea that they're going to start doing these immersive live performances in vr it seems insane it also seems like the most natural idea for vr that you're going to go into a sleep no more type of experience in your headset anytime you want, and these things are going to play out. Do you think, I mean, there's a lot of immersive entertainment stuff happening in this world. It's an ever growing phenomenon. Do you think Oculus can actually pull that sort of thing off?
3: I can't tell because again, I can't tell if I'm like most people because I know a lot of people who are really excited about it. But one of the things that's interesting about immersive installations to me is that you are physically there and like, that you can pick things up, that they're you're in a space that's unfamiliar, that there's scent and there's touch and all of these mm-hmm. things that VR just doesn't do. Like, you know how in Westworld, the whole point of Westworld is that it's better than VR and that's its selling point <laughs> because it's real. <laughs> that's kind of how I feel about Sleep No More stuff, even though I think that this interactive, like... AI sort of storytelling, I think that's really neat. And I think in, this whole interactive thing is really fascinating, but I don't know if that has to be in VR or if it could turn out that you go like on your desktop and play like what seems like a first person game that happens to have sort of live mocap actors.
0: Yeah. I will say Westworld uh, makes even less sense when you haven't slept in two weeks. Like I definitely <laughs> watched this episode and it's like, I don't what are these people doing? Why are they so mean? Um, There is no show where I'm
1: more on the fence between like, this is really engaging and this is incredibly stupid. Like I just veer wide wildly back and forth during every episode.
3: I want to write a dissertation about every episode I have. I want to write like a really detailed analysis of the economics and class implications and like who uses Westworld because it all makes just little enough sense that I can think of all of these really interesting explanations. Where do they get the
0: startup money?
3: <laughs> I don't know. having seen people buy into VR stuff, like Wait,
2: so i was uh, I was wondering about do you have any thoughts on kind of the next generation like so like Oculus Go is making VR headset technology that like you could have gotten a year ago, but cheaper and more portable or more effect- uh, I don't know more convenient. But there's also like new like the next gen VR headset stuff happening too, right? like the next Oculus maybe you can like focus like you have different focal dif- distances or a di- wider field of view is that stuff real is it really happening <laughs> is it is or or it has like desktop VR just kind of stalled
3: no so Oculus keeps saying that it's really committed to desktop VR and i believe it just because desktop VR is sort of in a way so cheap because mm. you don't ever have to worry about minimizing components and doing all of the stuff that's really hard in computing mm-hmm. it makes sense for them to keep doing it I think that there are kind of two generations of VR ahead. There's one generation that is sort of like Oculus Santa Cruz, which they've been showing off for a little while. It's self-contained like Oculus Go, but it has full sort of you-can-walk-around-a-room tracking and it has full hand tracking. It does all the stuff the Rift does, but it has the benefits of the Go where it's like self-contained and cheaper than like buying a Rift and a PC together. And I think that's sort of where you get into, they showed off some prototypes at um, F8. One of them had a really wide, like 140 degree field of view. Um, they showed, I think it had eye tracking. You they showed off this system where they had sort of photorealistic renderings of your face and they would use sensors to analyze where it was and, were like, where, and read facial expressions. It's all this stuff that's One part, like, improved experience and one part bells and whistles. And I think those two things could come together and that's probably going to be the next generation. The problem is neither of those actually solve, like, the problems that VR has, which is that the resolutions still, I don't know when it will be high enough, that it's really heavy, um, that we still, like, there are really interesting things to do in it, but it's still, we haven't really cracked, like, Here's how to make it feel normal to people. Yeah, And I'm not sure if that's just a we have to wait longer or if there is actually a generation of things that we have to – that we just don't know yet and we haven't seen yet.
2: I feel, I feel like the, the actually make it – especially if, if I'm correct that Facebook's ultimate goal is to make it feel like I'm hanging out with somebody. Like the ideal is that I just wear a pair of like regular eyeglasses and it looks like my buddy is in the chair across from me. And I'm not wearing a fully immersive headset. It seems like like that that the Magic Leap AR future is closer to what Facebook wants to accomplish than fully immersive VR.
3: Yeah, I think a lot of um, I was talking to Walt Mossberg about this on Twitter, but yeah, that. Facebook VR and VR in general has sort of felt technically ready earlier because when AR is bad, it's just really, really bad. Mm-hmm. But that AR, it's much easier to imagine a future of people using it in the near term and imagine what people are going to do with it and imagine a way that it could kind of feel natural.
0: Mm-hmm. But of course Magic Leap is closer to what you want because it doesn't exist. Yeah. right. It's like, always helpful. It's just a dream.
3: <laughs> no, like, I think that obviously- – Your vaporware is what you want. No, no, this is the the distinction, is that the technology of Magic Leap is, I mean, I don't know if it's vaporware, it's probably vaporware. But the concept of, like, what you could do with it, it is much easier for me to imagine, oh, yeah, here's this system, and I would actually use this system, versus VR, like, I don't know what would make me feel like I was physically in a separate magical place with a person, and really, really believe that.
0: Is that just, like, Facebook, it's biased towards everything needs to be a community? project, right? Like Facebook knows that all of its money is in the network effect, right? That's why Instagram is good. Like all your friends are there. All your friends are on Facebook. The majority of your friends, if you don't live in the United States, are on WhatsApp. Um, Is that just Facebook trying to glue on something to VR that doesn't need to be there or shouldn't need to be there? Or is it what everyone in the industry thinks?
3: I think it's what a lot of people in the industry think. It's also kind of a way to get around basically creating your own PlayStation and like your own whole giant catalog of games and content. Like if people can provide the entertainment for each other and you just have to create (laughs) situations where they can hang out with each other and do things, that's really good for you.
0: (laughs) It's it's like truly the Westworld model. Like go just play here. You'll be, you'll be fine on your own. Um, Okay. We, I want to move on. There's so much other stuff. There's T-Mobile and Sprint. There's Apple, but real quick, Casey, um, we brought up Instagram earlier. But I'm just looking at this list of headlines. Video calls Mm -hmm. are coming to Instagram. Instagram stories have GoPro and Spotify integration. They're allowing third parties to create. It seems like they're just throwing everything at Instagram in a way that kind of scares me.
1: I think the shorter version is Facebook is coming to Instagram. (laughs) Like, (laughs) if you want to get a good look at the Instagram roadmap, get a load of Facebook. Um, And the reason is because they're, youngest, most desirable demographics are moving to Instagram. And so they're going to try to give those people all of the features that they abandoned on Facebook. <laughs> um, and I kind of <laughs> don't know how this is
0: going to play out. <laughs> I, I have had It this seems conference. like they should start another Instagram-like thing and then just chase their users around. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like trying they to make started, a, like, a
2: whole circle?
0: Yeah. They cut all the features out of Facebook.
2: Right.
0: And then everyone goes back to Facebook. Hmm. I've
1: had this conversation
0: with the Instagram team, actually, where –
1: um, and, and I had it in the context of them launching um, Direct, which is going to be a standalone messaging app that is probably going to roll out broadly this year. And if you want to send messages on Instagram, you're going to have to download a standalone app. And we're going to get a repeat of the uh, angst that we all felt when Facebook spun out Messenger. And I said to the team, like, take a lesson from Messenger because Messenger was a, used to be a really lightweight, fun app that everyone loved. And then they just larded it with features until all of us ran screaming to other messaging apps, including Instagram which is very limited in what it can do. So you know, I think all software is always caught in this place of, you know, hearing requests from users, please build this, please do that. And um, it would be nice if some companies showed a little bit more resistance to doing things that ultimately
2: undermine the app. Would Facebook ever let I mean because you know I give I give Google a lot of a lot of heat on this podcast for having too many <laughs> messaging apps. But Facebook's getting up there now, like would Facebook ever consider like letting WhatsApp talk to Instagram talk to Messenger, and it's like you choose your interface, or or does that does that uh, reveal the the big lie <laughs> that all of these are owned by one company?
1: I, I think that probably
2: reveals it. Um,
1: well, I mean, there is security a standards real sense. too, right? Yeah, uh, only uh, WhatsApp is end-to-end encrypted, and from the way Zuckerberg was talking this week, it doesn't sound like they have plans to bring end-to-end encryption to their other apps, save for the secret conversation mode in Facebook Messenger, which requires uh, a guided tour of the app in order to find. Um, but you know, that it, it is interesting how Facebook has this family of apps and they really are just different user interfaces for the same thing. Uh, I mean, arguably all social software is just the same, like five functions endlessly remixed. Mm. Um, but you know, some people really do, have strong preferences around them. And I think a lot of us uh, on this podcast and probably a lot of people out there like, m- would probably express a strong preference for Instagram. But man, like WhatsApp has a ton of fans all around the world, right? And uh, and Facebook itself still has a lot of partisans. So so Facebook is making plenty of money just by giving us different interfaces for the same five features.
0: Yeah, I just, the Instagram direct thing to me, the idea that you're gonna start, you're gonna spin off this app, you're gonna start video calling Instagram and you're gonna start, Live streaming your GoPro to it. All of the sudden, this thing is like some unholy mix of Skype and YouTube, and I just don't need that thing. Like Instagram messages for me are like, I send my friends a bunch of emojis when they post a fun story, and that that is all that needs to happen there. Like I I rare the the most conversation I've ever had in an Instagram message is, "What is your email address." I would like to move this to a traditional <laughs> message channel.
1: Well, it, what is your fax
2: number? It is true yeah. that like Instagram is kind of where you, in some sense, kind of meet people online a little bit. Like you see somebody doing a cool thing or you see somebody comment on your friend's post or something like that. And I don't know.
1: I have this yeah. whole thing about how um, Tinder is just a messaging infrastructure for Instagram. <laughs> like, that's all that it is. It, <laughs> it pulls your photos from Instagram, uh, pulls more photos from Instagram, and you send messages to people with Instagram accounts, and that's what Tinder is.
2: That's true. Is
1: that why Facebook is doing this crazy-ass dating thing? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. The match group is worth $13 billion. Like, there are people at Facebook who just sit around all day saying, where could we make an easy billion dollars? <laughs> like, dating <laughs> looks very easy
0: because it was the original idea that... That the company started to do <laughs> oh man Every, sorry yeah. i you know it's like yeah, i have a little distance now like I, i've just been completely unplugged for weeks on end and it's Facebook's. spot you know they'll figure it out but just hearing you talk about it that way and I'm, I'm sure that's actually how it goes down it's like why would you be a developer on facebook's platform if you're any kind of successful they're just going to eat you Right, which is yes. what they're gonna do to master.
1: That is a hundred percent true. I I don't actually know how Facebook responds to that because it seems to be so transparently true. <laughs>
0: you know, yeah. I mean look, I,
1: again like there are ways to make money on Facebook. It is a great engine for finding customers. So, you know, you can use Facebook to do that. But yeah, if you have like an idea for you know some sort of like group chat thing that is going to use the Facebook login API to help bootstrap your first 10 million users like Facebook probably is not going to let that happen or or if they do they're not going to make it
2: easy on you Facebook yeah. really wants your small local business to succeed it wants you to sell <laughs> more cupcakes than have ever been sold by a small local business
0: <laughs> Well that's why Facebook boycotts don't work right cuz the big advertisers aren't actually there mm. I, I think it was Hopefully somebody remembers, but it was like the the CMO of like Procter & Gamble or something was like, we can't even take our money off of Facebook. We don't spend any there. All of it is Kickstarter, small business, all this customer acquisition stuff. There's a really great article. I think it was an in ink about like the razor companies like Harry's and then hims. And there's a, a, um, a all the direct to consumer consumer goods companies that are all dumping money into Facebook and Instagram to acquire their customer base. And become the next Dollar Shave Club. And they're quickly learning that there's a, like, there's just a law of diminishing returns that destroys them. It's actually cheaper Hmm. for them to open a store in, like, Soho. Hmm. Because then they can get people. That's wild. Off the
1: what say more about that? Why is that? Like, what is the what is the bump that they hit that that makes it stop being cost effective?
0: So uh, this article is great. I'll, I'll we'll put it in the show notes or something. Yeah. Um, it was it's all about Wharton, the business school at Penn. Is it's where all of these direct to consumer good companies have started. So like, there's this flywheel of entrepreneurship there that everybody wants in on this action. Warby Parker was started there, and so Warby Parker was great because all almost all eyeglasses in america in the world are are made by luxotica which means there's not a lot of competition prices go high they came in they underpriced the market they changed consumer behavior on glasses people buy them much more often now they buy them as fashion accessories as opposed to like utilities and so that flywheel is great but if you were trying mm-hmm. to sell something like bed sheets or couches or uh razor blades and there's already like low margin razor blade companies, you need to like elevate your brand messaging. You can't win on cutting costs alone. And so having a store is a really good way for people to like see and interact with your product and for you to, you know, say our thread count is higher. These sheets feel better, or this thing is built better than some other thing. And so their cost of customer acquisition is skyrocketing. And Facebook is also charging them tons and tons and tons of money because there's so much influx of these companies trying to use the platform to acquire customers. It's just like a wild cycle. And so like my joke about every other Instagram story ad I see is some Kickstarter, it really is. Like, it's all small businesses trying to pitch people like me um, on their like startup ideas.
1: I just love the idea that like Facebook like messing up this thing is like leading us back to brick and mortar retail. <laughs> like just one more crazy, unexpected consequence of the news feed. Um It's like the yeah. No, it's- there's a reason I write about Facebook all day, every day. It's like the weirdest dang thing in the world.
0: It is truly strange. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll, Casey, I'll send it to you, but then I'll, I'll stick it in the show notes yeah. for people. It was um, I saw it floating around earlier this week, and I I was as I was reading it, I was just laughing and laughing because all these entrepreneurs think they've started like tech companies or like Warby Parker companies and they realize they've started Crate and Barrel and they're like oh shit like (laughs) that wasn't that was not our intention (laughs) going into this all right I'm gonna read this ad then we gotta talk I want to talk briefly about Apple earnings I want to I want to talk a little bit about T-Mobile and Sprint this episode of the VertiCast is brought to you by IBM. We live in a world that's creating AI-enabled everything, a world with more IoT devices than people. Today, technology has never been smarter, but smart only matters when you put it to work where it matters. When we put smart to work, we can help save species, increase crop yields, and make progress, not just for a few of us, but for all of us. So let's get to it. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at IBM.com smart. Okay, we're back. Paul. hmm Every week, buddy. With. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm assuming you've done this for the past three weeks.
2: Yeah. No, I've been very consistent. Okay. It's I got the same name. Always the which... same name. I do a segment that's called Safety First, they said. <laughs> and it's uh, it's this uh, Lumos helmet, which I don't know. I missed this the first time around. It's a helmet with very bright lights on it that can uh, give you like have turn signals and brake signals that you wear like while riding your bike. And then there's a little controller on your handlebars, but that's annoying. So now they set it up so that you can use your Apple Watch and use gestures, because everybody remembers the hand signals for riding a bike, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I'm guessing that they probably use something like that. But yeah, wait, so just
0: you you wear a helmet and you you like
2: you gesture, put your arm
0: out in an L, and then your helmet starts blinking.
2: Your helmet starts blinking, and then. The watch will vibrate to let you know that it's still blinking, and you shake your watch, and then it will stop blinking. It seems like
0: an excellent way to get into a bike accident.
2: Yeah, and also you just look like a total dork. And, like, I I, I really support safety, Uh and I think people should wear helmets. Uh, but I'll be honest with you. I don't wear a helmet because I don't want to look like a dork, and Lumos isn't helping. <laughs>
1: Right. I lo- I love that you don't want to look at a dork but I'm looking at your headphones right now and oh boy.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you have you got AirPods yet Paul? Are you giving up? No. Oh, you maybe you missed it. The one true answers arrive. What it is? The, the the dongle life hell is has resulted in the greatest gift to mankind which is wireless porta pros.
0: Oh, I saw if Vlad read them.
2: Yeah, Koss has made wireless headphones. They have Horrible Bluetooth connectivity, but they sound amazing, and uh, they make you look like a real dork. <laughs> <laughs> it's all happened. But uh, I see. Here's what I do: is I all the dork points that I don't spend on helmets, I use <laughs> to wear cosport. I
0: really hope those Porter Pros uh, protect your skull. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> That's what I want for you. Casey, are you still still on AirPods full-time?
1: I I am, um, but the microphone stopped working, and I'm very sad about it. It apparently makes some sort of very crunchy noise whenever anyone talks to me, and so they're like just out of warranty. I should probably go into the Genius Bar to see if they can do anything,
0: but it's
1: kind of turned into a hassle. Uh, But like all the things that I've always loved about the AirPods, I
0: definitely still love. Wasn't David Pierce tweeting that his had broken, too? Is this a thing?
1: Yeah, and I actually would ask, if anybody else has had any microphone issues with their airpods like please tweet at me because I, I want to hear all of them <laughs> like i i want to know if i am more than just a, a one-off here
0: i can't have airpods in my house right now because the baby will just put them in her mouth <laughs> <So>. <laughs> we're <laughs> back to though <laughs> yeah okay let's talk about t-mobile and sprint so this is a big deal there are i don't know four or five ways to to cut into it so t-mobile and sprint have been trying to merge for 500 years something like that uh so i'm gonna i'm gonna start man i wish Dieter was here because uh, this would just drive this is going to drive him crazy
2: right
0: i'm gonna start in like 2007 with y so i hmm. the entire story here is ages ago sprint tried to get way out ahead of 4g by betting on the wrong technology. Big bet. Which was which was WiMAX. Uh, a technology that literally no one else in the world thought was good. Uh, except for, I believe, one carrier in South Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, and they only used it for, I believe, fixed deployments to office buildings. And Sprint was like, what if we take that technology and put it in your pocket? That did not work out. Ever since then, Sprint has been basically failing along. As near as I can tell. AT&T, two, three years ago, four years ago now, 2014, uh, AT&T tried to buy T-Mobile. The Obama uh, FCC said, no, you can't. We need four competitive. That that was 2011. 2011. my God. Time time disappears for me. By the way, having a baby also is like one endless day. Like, I don't know <laughs> when days begin and end because you, you just, you don't ever like sleep in a way that indicates a day is over. Um, anyway, 2011 Obama, uh, FCC says, no, at you can't buy T-Mobile. We need to have four competitive wireless carriers. T-Mobile immediately became a force, right? They became, they became T-Mobile in a very serious way. Um, they started doing all their uncarrier stuff. They become a very competitive threat to, uh, AT&T and Verizon, um, obviously, John Ledger, their CEO, is like a well-known public figure. He loves to talk trash. In the background of that, SoftBank, the huge Japanese conglomerate, invested a ton of money in Sprint. And f- literally since then, there has been talk of T-Mobile and Sprint coming together in some way, so T-Mobile can expand even into more of a threat to AT and Verizon. From what I can tell, there was a lot of back and forth about who would be in charge of this and that finally got resolved and sprint ceo is going to be out he'll end up on the board of the new t-mobile t-mobile ceo john ledger will be the ceo t-mobile COO mike Sievert will be the new COO, um and softbank's ceo um will be on the board as well so like if you just start with all of that what you have is Almost a decade ago, Sprint made the wrong bet and has never managed to recover in a serious way. T-Mobile was prevented from failing into AT&T, and they became competitive instead because we want four national carriers. And now T-Mobile is saying, well, Sprint's going to fail. We should buy them. And I can't quite wrap my head around if that's good or bad. Like, there's only three carriers if Sprint goes bankrupt, Right. So what are you going to do? You might as well let T-Mobile become more competitive, but at the same time, the entire rationale for not letting AT&T buy T-Mobile was that you wanted four national competitive carriers.
2: But there is a the fact that it doesn't feel to me that Sprint's very competitive right now. So you you make T-Mobile more competitive versus Verizon and AT&T, so you have three more competitive than you instead of having two really really strong contenders and the up and coming up and comer of T-Mobile and then the, the floundering sprint. Yeah,
0: that is the argument, right? That T-Mobile would, the new T-Mobile would get something like a hundred ish million subscribers that puts it firmly into the same size um, as at and and Verizon. They would obviously have access to way more spectrum. T-Mobile and Sprint are claiming this is all about 5G. Literally the website is called allfor 5G.com, mm. which is, you know what? I'm all
2: for 5G. It is the worst Michael Bolton song <laughs> of all time. <laughs> well, 5G is very much about putting a bunch of, bunch of spectrum all together all at once. Right?
0: Yeah. Uh, and you know, they're saying they can, they can get their way faster. Um, I just don't, uh, the one comp that people have used is Canada where they did go from four to three. And prices everywhere shot up dramatically Hmm. because if you don't Mm -hmm. have that desperate challenger trying to undercut everybody, there's no reason for anybody to go lower. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you have three companies around the same size and they are just trying to manage churn, they're never going to be desperate or desperate enough to do something crazy. Of course, it's John Leisure. So like who really knows? Like, is he going to settle down? He's going to like trade in his leather jacket and cut his hair? Like, I don't know. But to me, this is a huge deal. Um, and one thing that I've been thinking about as I've just been reading about it is Trump hates the idea of at buying Time Warner. Like he doesn't want at to do that. And at doesn't want this. Like he might just instruct his DOJ to block it because 18 to let it go through because at doesn't want it to happen. Right. It was just totally backwards of what he's saying about at and and Time Warner. So we'll, we'll see. It's like, it's such a big deal that we've already written, I think six posts about it um you should go read all of them because it has implications all the way out but to me this all starts with sprint made such a bad bet a decade ago that it has never managed to fully recover like they Mm. still don't support voice over lte on their phones Uh like they're that behind technologically they're still they're still running a bunch of cdma on their phones Mm. because they have to and everyone else has moved on and they just they're so behind technologically that it's it's better to just let their spectrum go to T Mobile and try to compete better. Yeah. But I don't like, wouldn't you be happier if I don't know, US cellular was like, fuck it, we're a national carrier now and they became a real competitor.
2: <laughs> I wish yeah. I wish Google had taken Project File a little more seriously or if there were I don't know.
0: Well I, I hate to bring this back to Facebook. It's funny because Facebook is a huge ISP all around the world. Right. Right. And Google tried to be an ISP in the United States and it's they just like ran against the wall of monopoly incumbent. Power and they just gave up. Right. They gave up with fiber and they've got
3: a- They were doing something different though. Like they were like, you have this good service. We're going to offer incredible, great service at an incredibly low price. Whereas Facebook goes into places that basically don't have the internet and it's like, here's internet.
0: It's literally coming at you from balloons. Yeah, I, th- that's true. But, you know, Google has its own crazy ideas about getting access in places where, where, where it never has been before. It's just, it was easier for Facebook to go into a, somewhere you know some developing country and say here's free basics that it was for Google to go into Kansas City and i th- you can say that like what they were delivering was much lower quality in its sense but it should be pretty easy to build an access business somewhere in america and it just isn't and so like to have one of those competitors go away to me what i'm scared about is maybe another competitor will never emerge because Already, the big companies have tried and
2: failed. My worry, I, it just it feels like we've been doing this wrong. Basically, ever ever since, like if if almost everywhere you go, at all times, if you open up your phone and browse for Wi-Fi, there's some Wi-Fi out there, right? Like like you are almost always very close to a lot of Wi-Fi hotspots. Uh, but like, there's just lots of problems with Wi-Fi. Obviously, the big one is that is somebody's wireless router. And uh, they don't want to give you the password and they don't want you streaming Netflix on them You know, when they're trying to stream Netflix. You know, there's lots of problems with trying to share that kind of infrastructure. But it's also silly to me that like how often I'm hitting cell phone towers when I really should be hitting like closer, more effective, like small cell, uh, not necessarily Wi-Fi. But like you know, just like so, so much of the infrastructure is centered around these relatively large big tower, old timey radio broadcast things when we have so much, you know, we are sponsored by HBO and their distributed internet <laughs> thing right now. Like, I just feel like there's, there's gotta be a-, a Wait, did you just
0: refer to Silicon Valley as HBO's distributed internet thing? <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I it's just a, think the a, that, a TV show.
2: I really, <laughs> I have to imagine like, you know, Elon Musk gets us some space internet, right? The space internet's beamed down from the sky into each building that has a little receiver transceiver on the roof, and then that goes to Wi-Fi. And then it's like, yeah, I use my cell phone when I'm like on road trips. But other than that, I you know I don't need I don't need all this. There's so much redundant infrastructure. I feel like there's got to be a better way to make wireless internet.
3: Well, it's basically what Comcast I mean, people, is doing. Yeah, people have been trying to do that forever, though. Like, there have been so many little sort of MVNO-style things that are like, we're going to lease data from Sprint, but you're mostly going to use Wi-Fi. Right. And I guess maybe some of them are still around.
2: Yeah, what was well, it, funny. Republic Wireless? Yes, or? that's what I'm thinking that's of. Probably. And
0: Xfinity Mobile is basically you're going to roam around on Comcast. Oh, um, yeah, I forgot about that. And if you, don't, if you don't have it, you'll jump to Verizon, which is not incredible. But it's funny because, you know, T-Mobile lists that as a competitor to them. They're like, we yeah. have eight competitors. One of them is Comcast Xfinity Mobile, which has no subscribers, effectively. And then another competitor they listed was Charter, which literally is just not in the business at all. Like, just doesn't have a wireless service to compete. Um, so it's it's a lot of that going on. Okay, I'm going to read one more ad, and I do want to talk about Apple earnings, and we're going to wrap this thing up. This episode of Veritas is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than just posting your job online and just praying for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job in ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive, so you never miss a great match. Great candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Right now, virtual listeners can try to ZipRecruiter for free. That is right. Free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Verge. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash Verge. ZipRecruiter. It's the smartest way to hire. Okay. You know, I said we we're going to talk about app earnings, but I really just want to talk about Verizon putting Go90 on all Galaxy S9 phones, which is the worst <laughs> news I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, do you see? It's so funny when you're, when you're completely disconnected, what comes across to you is just like totally different than usual. Matthew Panzerino, the editor of TechCrunch, posted a photo of like knockoff Chuck Taylor's that Oath had made with the TechCrunch logo on them, which are just like, <laughs> like, he's a huge sneakerhead, and he just seems so sad about it. And I was like, Matt, you know, when we ran Engadget, we were at CES one year, and AOL decided that they would take a bunch of Escalades and wrap the Engadget logo all over them and not tell me about them. And he's like, they will always ruin the things you love mercilessly. <laughs> um, I don't know. Casey, Okay, we, we spent all this time talking about um, Facebook. Yeah, I think that we don't spend enough time talking about Oath for this one particular reason. Their entire business is the same as Facebook's in exactly <laughs> the same ways that people are mad at Facebook, right? They are on the phone network. They run a bunch of media sites. They track you mercilessly across those sites. They deliver programmatic ads um, that will follow you across not only you know, the apps and services you use on Yahoo, but all the media that you might read on Yahoo News or Engadget or whatever. Uh, and I, you know, I don't mean to denigrate the people who work there. This is a corporate decision that's being made about, you know, I, I was on Engadget the other day and they're like, please accept the new oath terms of service. Like the people who are working in Engadget have no, no control over that. And then Verizon owns them and they're doing device level tracking on the phone. Like, is there a reason that no one has pointed the same sort of, lens at Verizon and Oath and what's happening there that they do at Facebook. Is it just not sexy at all?
1: Well, first of all, you're gonna love my new VergeCast spin-off podcast, Oathcast, which will investigate these issues <laughs> in great detail.
0: Well um, it's just funny. I mean it's just another huge business that's out there, but it it, it attracts none of this negative attention.
1: It's true. And uh, I think you could extend that question to data brokers more broadly, right? And, and ultimately, I think it comes down to visibility. We're very aware of what Facebook is doing because we're on Facebook all day, every day. Uh, most of us are not on oath properties all day, every day. And even if we are, we might not know that they're oath properties. So they benefit from sort of not exactly being in the shadows because they're a media company, but these decisions about how they collect our data and what data they collect, it's much harder to keep track of. Um, And and frankly, I think, you know, your personal data is now so hard to keep track of that some people have embraced a certain nihilism, right, and just sort of thrown their hands up. I mean, as we've been talking today, Twitter told all of their users to change their passwords uh, because they accidentally apparently stored maybe everyone's Twitter password in plain text. No way. Um, it's in an me internal Casey? log no it's in in an internal log so this wasn't just like you know uploaded at twitter.com for anyone to check out uh, you know you would have presumably had to have been inside twitter but at the end of the day you know it's a it's a terrible mistake and you know whether you're talking about oath uh, whether you're talking about twitter whether you're talking about facebook uh, you know it's it's hard to even know how you would get control of your your data if you wanted to how you would actually Exist on the internet while maintaining any modicum of of privacy or control.
0: I just think uh, the future here that we are looking at is Verizon bought a bunch of media companies, and now the phones on Verizon's network are going to have media company apps preloaded on them. AT and T wants to buy Time Warner. It's very obvious that you know HBO Now is going to end up preloaded on the AT and T Galaxy S nine when that, if and when that deal goes through, and all of everything they're doing is. They want you to spend more time inside of their media ecosystem so they can develop as much, as much of a sophisticated profile as Facebook has. So they can, they can compete in that business as well as the other business. And I feel like, all of the attention we pay to Facebook, we could pay that same attention to Google. I know there are lots of activists out there who would love us to pay that same attention to Google, but the phone networks are, they're all trying to do the same thing. And I think it's super interesting. None of this, however, is about Apple earnings, uh, which I have been <laughs> teasing that we're going to talk about for an hour now. Uh, and have utterly failed to, here's why I wanted to bring this up. So Apple did great. They always do great. They sold a bunch of phones, uh, 61.1 billion in revenue. They met their own numbers. Growth was back up in China, which is a big deal for them. And here's the the thing so leading up to this there was a lot of question about whether the iphone 10 was a success or not this was mostly measured against analyst expectations and i think there's a lot of ball moving that's happening right now so analysts were expecting the iphone 10 which was a a new phone design which has not happened for a long time in the apple world a new phone design usually kicks off um, a massive upgrade cycle that did not appear to be happening there were reports from like Samsung's OLED division, that their sales were not meeting their own projections because they were not selling as much as many flexible OLED screens. So then iPhone ten as a failure became the narrative. Then Apple released its results. iPhone ten is doing fine. They phone sales are basically flat, but they haven't gone down. And everyone's but average sale price and revenue is way up because the iPhone ten costs a thousand dollars. So you look at all that and everyone's like, Apple did great. They blew away all these projections. When really they we just moved the ball from a new iPhone design generally drives this huge upgrade cycle to things stay relatively flat. Does that seem like what happened here? That's just me again, I've been out I'm like out of the news cycle. But it seems like the iPhone ten was supposed to do better than it did, and then it did
2: fine, and now we're all celebrating. And that no? sounds I, I'm just so bad at bit, as soon as you get to earnings, <laughs> I just I feel like my brain turns off. But uh I mean, that sounds reasonable to me. I mean How much growth? Apple had to make this move because there wasn't much more to grow as far as more people buying iPhones. So they needed to make more expensive iPhones if they wanted to continue growing.
0: Yeah. There's also this quote about the HomePod from Tim Cook. HomePod
2: is widely recognized
0: for having the best sound quality for its size and class. We look forward to adding new features to HomePod. What? It's just such a brutal. Oh. <laughs> I'm so depressed uh, like, about HomePod.
1: I I'm so depressed because it I think it's it's going to be enough of a hit that it that all of its flaws aren't going to matter and that Apple has just achieved this sort of gravity where it doesn't even have to make good products to make a billion dollars. And I just I don't like living in that world because, man, like when Apple was fighting from
2: underneath, it was such a much more fun company to watch. It made a good product in terms of sound, but it hasn't solved the, the customer user experience of the HomePod or, oh, right. the, or the table ruining problem. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, no, uh, Casey, I agree with you, which is why I think like the, you know, the big narrative is around Apple and services right now where their services business is growing, their content business is growing. And I look at most of those services, and they are worse than their competitors. But because yeah. they have the iPhone, is just where they live. Like You get an iPhone, and it's really easy to sign up for Apple Music. It's really easy to start using Apple News. It's really easy to run out of storage and buy some iCloud storage. Of course, their services business is huge. It does not mean that those services are better than any of their competition by a long shot. Yeah, you know, the 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 key example I think is Apple Maps, which is mm-hmm. fine. It's just fine, but it's not better than Google Maps, and yet it ha- it instantly had a dominant share because it's just on the phone. And, and like I, would I don't know like what to Apple-
1: say. I got lost on Apple Maps in this calendar year, so I know we all like to say that it got better. But I was trying to get to a wedding in Phoenix, and guess who ended up in a cul-de-sac that wasn't supposed to be there? Oh,
0: whoa! I don't think no no Apple employees have ever been to Phoenix. That's the
1: problem. <laughs> <laughs> There's just never been. There. Nor, nor should they. I mean, I don't hold that part against them. I'm just kidding. Phoenix, I love you. I used mm. to live there for six years. But, but come on now.
0: Uh, yeah, I just I, I think that to me is a again i i'm saying you have a kid the ecosystem jail door is just like slam shut you're like okay i'm just gonna use all apple stuff it's easy everybody has it like i need to distribute photos of this child um and i care deeply about security right i don't i don't want them to like leak or be unencrypted and you're like okay i'm just gonna use these products they're not better than others but they're simpler and available and that to me is it's such a big piece of the Apple story right now.
2: What do you think about Apple's, like, relatively low R&D budget? That's, like, really worrisome to me. I, Isn't that – that's, like, a Steve Jobs thing. Like, he,
0: he came in and slashed that whole budget and said we're only going to work on products that ship.
2: But there was also a time, I remember, where it was, like, some – Man, now I wish I remembered. <laughs> <Dang> it. <laughs> there was a time when Apple was like, hey, the industry's slow right now. Here's our time. We need to invest really hard in R D so that yeah, when was we're a recession, at, when we're out of the slump, then we'll be doing good.
0: Yeah, that was like 8 ish. And he said we're gonna Steve Jobs said we're gonna innovate our way through the downturn.
2: Okay. So so to, the idea yeah. is that you have you have an inverse, you your R and D is the inverse of how well you're doing. So Apple's doing uh, so well right now that it doesn't need to do any research.
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, I, my only point, you know, I don't think you can compare the Steve jobs, Apple to the Tim cook Apple, right? They're, they're obviously different companies. Mm. Um, my point is that like Casey's saying, Apple has so much gravity that they can accident into success, not necessarily on merits, right? Mm. Not necessarily in competitive merit, like merits in the sense that the products are good, but like the Apple watch is a dominant is the dominant device in the wearables category, mm-hmm. mostly because it can send messages, right? If any other watch could send an iMessage, we would not always just recommend the Apple Watch. Mm. But no other watch has a capability because only Apple controls that capability. Like that, to, that to me is like an important piece of this puzzle. I'm not saying the Apple Watch isn't better than the competition, but they have all of these accrued advantages. Where once you're in the ecosystem, it's better to just stay in than even. For one second, look outside of it. Okay, that was dark. Apple's doing great, You're making a lot of money. I
2: encourage you to have a child Wait, and, and live what, fully within their ecosystem.
0: You will feel very cared for.
2: What about this rumor that Apple's going to make a, a VR AR headset? Like, is that just like just like the Apple's going to make a TV rumor that we just hear? Addie,
0: did, did these specs seem completely insane to you when you read them? It's like two 8K displays on your head with like a battery.
3: I would totally believe that they're working on them because. The thing is that the specs seem, like, unambitious for 2020. Like, yeah, an K display is big, but that still doesn't seem like it's going to be – I don't know if retina is technically the right word, but I'm not sure that's still going to be good enough that you aren't going to be able to see, look, I'm looking at a screen. And I'm not really – like, pass-through video is not good. It's never mm-hmm. good. Like, it's not good <laughs> AR. Um, I heard somebody say that it could be sort of an enterprise thing, that it's like their version of, like, a pro product. I would believe that because you don't kind of care as much about the experience being flawless. You just want a powerful thing that can, like, let you model stuff. Um, but I don't know. I would believe that they're working on that, and I would kind of hope that they would iterate past it.
0: The idea of Apple making a pro product is, like, super funny to me. Th- and <laughs> like... They have to deliver a tower PC first before <laughs> <laughs> they like revolutionize like pro CAD with AR displays. I like that idea though. I mean, it's very clear that they've been working in AR, but um, I really hope they just put out a TV too. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> like, like they should just make a TV. It's like so obvious that they should just make a TV. Anyway. I am just excited to talk to adults right now. I only have one friend. She's very small. does not have a lot to say. Um, she's great. Love her to pieces, but it was nice spending time with all of you. That is it for the Verge cast. Uh, there are other great podcasts to listen to. Why'd you push that button is going strong. I will say this. I, I am in charge of feeding Max overnight. So every morning I listen at 4am. I listen to about 10 minutes of why'd you push that button while Max uh, has her meal. And that's great. I'm almost through this episode, which is about unfollowing people. Um, our managing editor, TC Sodik, is on it. Our senior features editor, Michael Zlenko is on that episode. They're both very funny. Listen to Watch Your Push That Button with Ashley and Caitlin. It's great. Uh, and then you should also check out another great Vox Media Podcast Network show, Polygon's P- Quality Control. It's Polygon's review podcast, uh, which is a conversation between Dave Tack and comic editor Susanna Polo talking about Infinity War this week, uh, which I have not seen. Please do not say a word to me about it because I will not probably see it for the next year. So just no spoilers for <laughs> the next year. That's what I got for you. Uh, where can everybody find you, people? Addie, what's your Twitter?
3: I'm the Dextriarchy on Twitter.
0: Casey? I'm uh, Casey Newton on Twitter. Would you like to plug your newsletter and podcast, my friend?
1: I would. In fact, if you go to my Twitter bio, you will see a link to my daily newsletter about social media and democracy. I encourage you to check that out. And we have a release date for Converge. And it is this month. I don't think we want to spoil the actual release date, but it is this month. Uh, We've recorded a bunch of episodes. I'm setting up a bunch more. So the thing that y'all have uh, so kindly been tweeting at me about is actually happening. And uh, I'm just really excited to share it with everyone.
0: One of the few things besides the show that broke through my leave was I I looked at some podcast art today, my friend. It's looking pretty good.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, and there's even newer art that I think I like even more than I'm going to show you as soon as we get off the podcast. Aren't you guys a couple of teases?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Coming. You got to build the hype. Paul, where can I find you?
2: Future Paul, and if you look at my Twitter bio, I've got an oath uh, newsletter that I do every day. When I come
0: back from sleep, I am dedicating my time to making people upset about Oath. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all I'm gonna do. It's just like if I get if I went through the day and not one more person was upset about oath, <laughs> I will fail. <laughs> all right. That is it for the virtual We went a little bit long, but thank you so much for listening. I promise I will try to sleep a little bit more next week. Dieter will be back next week. He's not actually dead, he's just off doing something. It was fine though, if he was on the show this time you would have had to just constantly disclose that his wife works for Oculus. <laughs> <laughs> so it, all, it all just worked out. Uh, but you be back next week? We'll see you all next week. Thank you so much for listening. By the way, I'm reckless on Twitter. The Verge is at Verge on Twitter, on Instagram. By the way, Instagram stories game is incredible. Oh, and I totally forgot. It was the first thing on the list. And I forgot to mention it. Verge science launched on YouTube this week. Go check it out. Their first video is our deputy science editor, Alessandra Patanza looking at slime molds and she uh, eats some that's true that's just a fact that happens in the video Uh, but it's incredible Verge Science on YouTube go check it out it's wonderful that is it we'll see you next week rock and roll Paul This episode of Virchast was brought to you by IBM. Technology today has never been smarter, but smart only matters when you put it to good use. Together, we can build a smarter future for all of us. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at IBM.com smart.